This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And we're excited to talk to you guys today. I hope you're having a great week. How's your week going, Judy? It's good. We just finished spring break, and so now we're back into the rhythm of things. It's spring, and it's already really warm in Austin. Yeah, I'm super excited. Our family is going to come down and hang out with you for the weekend uh, coming up soon. And、uh, my kids are so excited. I know. Aiden today at church was like, How many days until Penelope comes? And so I literally had to do the math. I was like, I think like 10 days. Yeah, we're definitely counting down there. I started thinking about packing and all that good stuff too. So we're excited.、Um, so today I know we, we mentioned、uh, beforehand, kind of offline, that we wanted to talk about.、Um, The food shortage issue. And it's hard to even say like there are food shortages coming、right. without making it sound political or conspiracy or whatever it is. But I think what we want to do in this episode maybe is focus on the facts, some things that were delivered、um, from the administration this week, and talk about the facts of what's happening,、uh, get into meat prices, like why that's happening, and then what we are doing personally to prepare ourselves for. Potential food shortages, whether that's imminent or、um, something that's going to happen down the, down the road,、um, and kind of just discuss like our personal plans so that we can keep our family prepared for whatever comes our way. Yeah. And you mentioned that Biden said something somewhere、um, about huge shortages, and I had, hadn't heard that. So if you can just kind of explain to me. and... Yeah. So、um, I typically stay, I'm pretty. In my personal life, pretty in depth into、um, a lot of politics or the news, not something that I really talk about too much on social media. And so rather than like, this isn't really trying to 
get political in any way. And so I, part of this, I want to make sure that I'm reading the facts. So I'll give you the facts and leave some of my personal uh, opinions out of it for now, but I'm sure I won't be able to keep uh, all of them out. <laughs> you know how it goes. Um, but I will say we all noticed that meat prices are higher. We had somebody on our podcast um, at the very beginning, like almost a year ago now, uh, talking about why meat prices were higher. And that was dealing more with the supply chain issues from things being closed from COVID. And so while that podcast is still relevant, what we are experiencing now is different than that. It's not just a supply chain issue anymore from like the processing plants being closed. Um, I know personally, I am seeing beef prices coming way back down again at Costco. For, it's kind of like Costco is my measure for like, what are beef prices really doing? So ground beef is right back to regular again. Even yesterday, I saw like New York strips and ribeyes are back down to like pre-2020 prices. Um, and I'm seeing, it seems like beef is going on sale more often. And so for a lot of people, um, beef prices seem to be normalizing at the regular grocery store. I don't know if you see that in your area, Judy. So I gauge my prices based on the Wednesday sales on certain meats and the beef is still generally more expensive. I think before COVID, let's say ribeye was at its cheapest would be $5.99 a pound, which is really good. Um, now I think it's like $7.99 a pound. And then New York strip or T-bone would be like $6.99, $7.50. So to me, it seems like it hasn't really gone down much, but I don't really shop at Costco for meat as much. So maybe... yeah. But that's good to know. I think I have, I kind of asked people on Instagram the other day and it was a pretty big mix where a lot of people are seeing um, those meat prices are still higher. I have seen stuff like seafood, every piece of seafood, shrimp. I know Chris likes to eat uh, sea bass sometimes and we do crab legs occasionally. Those prices have all more than doubled and I have not seen them come back down at all. Even something like crab legs is, um, is kind of my measure because we get those occasionally. Sure. And those are still more than double the price of what they were. And so I don't know if that's more a delay in where those prices are at or if it's just inflation in general. Um, it seems to me things like pork loin and pork tenderloin prices are coming back down to normal, but the bacon price is still really right. high in my area. Yeah, same with us. Bacon is expensive. And I also just notice across the board, we go to restaurants a lot. And if we go to the sushi house, um, there's like a certain collarbone that I always order because it's carnivore. And what used to be like $6 is now over $12, $13 now. But there was two price increases in the last year and a half. Right. I see it in the egg prices and dairy and like the gas as well. It's just everything is becoming so expensive. And all our suppliers, um, I've, I've received like an email every week saying, here's like the lab prices, we need to increase prices or supplement lines. I mean, everybody is increasing prices on us, uh, whether it's shipments, um, it's, it's pervasive everywhere. And it's going to continue, you know, and I know that there's been talk of like, you know, it, whose fault it is. And uh, I have very strong opinions on that um, in general, but it also is a, is a trickle down effect. You know, there, if the gas prices are higher than the grocery store trucks, the people, it's like, that's going to affect right. what the grocery store prices are. And that's going to affect what the restaurant prices are. And the restaurant prices are determined from the, su the suppliers. And, and there's just like, um, you know, everything goes down. So it's, even though that restaurant has charged you more for that food, it's, they may even be making less profit margin than they did before. It's yeah. just simply because their costs are going up. And so I know, um, 
people who've like sold tickets to events or, or things ahead of time. Now they're, uh, I saw this business, like a catering business, they had like taken a deposit from somebody. And now essentially they were performing this catering for an event that was booked in advance, but the, it, they actually were losing money on this event. And obviously they promised it to the customer. So they went ahead and did it. But just from the cost of goods, from the time that the customer had booked the date or the event versus when it was happening, right. uh, prices had, had gone up that much since then. And so I want to talk about some uh, press conference today, and I want to read you some things that Biden said, and then I want us to be able to talk about the impact of that. I know also in previous episodes, you know, Judy and I have talked just about how we are adjusting um, prices. Like I eat more pork now. Uh, We eat chicken and eggs, like rather than just eating all beef all the time. But what we want to do is talk about um, the potential for food shortages and realistically, like factually what is being said and what does that look like and then how we are both preparing um for that because i know judy and i handle that very differently just kind of how we stock up um and are looking towards keeping meat in our lives in the future so so right now president biden is in uh brussels he's over there dealing with a lot of the ukraine stuff and uh, a few other things but um this past a few days ago, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, he um, spoke and he was asked about food shortages. And so I'm going to read, this is coming from whitehouse.gov. So this is not like a news article. I will say it's interesting that this is all things that he said, but finding actual news articles about it is very difficult. You're not seeing this on the corporate press. You're not seeing this in like main news articles. There's a couple things. There's a couple media outlets that are covering potential food shortages, but they tend to be a lot more right-leaning um, mm-hmm. news outlets. And so then obviously addressing it, kind of like talking about food shortages or inflation, you typically tend to sound like you're coming from the right or or conspiracy of some kind or whatever. So I want to make sure the source that, we are, that I'm reading this article from, this is the transcript from the talk that Biden gave. Uh, So a reporter had asked him uh, kind of a two-part question. One of them was about China, but then also within that, um, he was talking the question. Second, so the first part was about China, and I'm not going to read that because we don't need to get into that. But then he said, and secondly, can you say whether the conversation today uh, has turned to the subject of food shortages and what will the U.S. be doing to address wheat shortages in particular as a result of this war? So if you are not aware, the reason why this Russia-Ukraine war is affecting food shortages is that um, almost a third of the worldwide wheat production comes out of Russia, as well as fertilizer production. And so fertilizer, which I guess natural gas, which is a part of natural gas, is used to make fertilizer. And so a huge portion of the world is getting its supply of fertilizer and also wheat from places like Russia or from actually from Russia. And so this, you know, we might even say, well, I don't eat wheat. I'm, you know, nobody in my house eats wheat, so that shouldn't affect us. But think about what else eats wheat and what else wheat is used for and what are we using fertilizer for? Um, And just like I talked about earlier, there's that trickle down effect that um, has such an impact. So Biden answered and said, this is from uh, whitehouse.gov, With regards to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages, and it's going to be real. The price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. And because both Russia and Ukraine have been the breadbasket of Europe in terms of wheat, for example, just to give you one example, 
But we had a long discussion in the G7 with both the United States and the significant, which has a significant, right, the third largest producer of wheat in the world, as well as Canada, which is also a major, major producer. We talked, uh, we both talked about how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food, food shortages. So in addition to that, we talk about urging all European countries and everyone else to end trade restrictions on on sending limitations on sending food abroad. And so we are all in the process of working out with our European friends what it would be like, what it would take to help alleviate the concerns relative to food shortages. So um, through that, I know he brought up a lot of things, but that's the important part is that um, Russia and Ukraine deal a lot with the wheat. They also deal a lot with, he didn't mention this example, but uh, natural gas, which is found in fertilizer. And so I do think that um, personally, and based on what they are saying, uh, there are go- there's going to be issues um, with supply chain coming from uh, from this war with Ukraine and Russia. So, so many thoughts with what you said. Um, I, I know in my newsletter, I was just talking about food sh- shortages that had nothing to do with Biden. And uh, one of the articles I read said that natural gas has increased by 60% in the US compared to last year. And then in Europe, it's gone up by 600%. So I, I think there's a lot of truth already that has been seen with what you've talked about. Sorry, you and I are very lucky, though, because we live in warmer states. My mom's heating bill for this winter uh, has like tripled. And so a lot of people who are dealing with natural gas to heat their homes in the winter uh, are greatly feeling the effects of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And their, you know, their gas heating bill has skyrocketed this winter. The part that's hard is just, you know, so what does this mean? Like, why, why is there a shortage? And I know we just talked about there's confrontation in Russia, Ukraine, but you know, there's people that say that this is intentional. For example, I have clients that live in Argentina and their country is struggling. And I've listened to podcasts where they talk about how the leadership in Argentina is sort of turning a blind eye where they're allowing their people to struggle because part of that is to then control the people. I don't know where I struggle right now is, is this intentional? If these people in power didn't get what they wanted through the pandemic, if that's even a thing, then are they trying to have us hurt in other ways with shortages, things being really expensive? I know they printed a lot of money in the last year, maybe 20, 30 percent. I just don't know what is the true cause. And is it really just Russia? And I mean, maybe it doesn't matter, right? It's just that we have to deal with these effects now. Well, I do know that things like our rising gas prices here locally and the inflation that we've already been seeing has nothing to do with Russia, right? That hasn't happened yet. The stuff that's impacting us from the Russia-Ukraine war, that's coming later. That's the impact of the high prices that we're seeing right now have to do with the fact that we, both administrations, Trump and Biden, have printed trillions and trillions of dollars and have flooded our uh, marketplace like printing trillions and trillions of dollars out of nowhere causes inflation. Um, And so, you know, there's no way to talk about this without sounding extremely political. And most of the time when you're talking about this, because our current president is a Democrat, you sound like an extreme Republican. Mm -hmm. And for clarification, I am neither a Democrat or Republican. I blame all of this on Trump and Biden. So y'all can be mad at me for whatever reason you stand on. But it really does have to do with the inefficiency and the way that our government handles just printing out money in general, which is what we're dealing with right now. The food And that's the inflation part of it. That's where I think these are two very different issues that I think people need to be aware of and prepare for. 
is that inflation is what we're currently seeing. Sure. And the fact that we had some supply chain issues at the beginning of, of 2020, those things were, um, uh, you know, just a supply chain issue. So when we, we didn't really see food shortages during 2020, we saw people just like scrambling or a supply chain that couldn't catch up. It's not that the food didn't exist. We just couldn't get it to the grocery store. But with something like inflation, where you have, or you have less resources, we don't have the wheat to do what we need to do. And that will trickle down in a way. And then we also have this really high inflation right now where farmers can't, there is not access to fertilizer. They can't afford fertilizer. So they don't plant as many crops this year. Well, then there aren't crops to bring to the cows or there aren't crops to bring to the grocery stores and the food shortages are going to be a reflection of things like inflation. And then also, you know, whether it's because of Ukraine or, or Russia or not, inflation in general is going to start causing these shortages because people can't, the, at the core, the farmers can't afford to produce the same amount that they were because the gas in their tractor, you know, costs them thousands of dollars a day just to run their combines because diesel fuel is so high. I reserved a whole hog last summer, no, last spring. And they told us that the prices have gone up, that we're the last, I guess, group of people that will get this lower rate, but that fertilizer, the feed, everything has gone up in price. And so they will no longer be able to match this price. I see it already. Do you think then that, I mean, your mom has seen the natural gas go up by three times. Are you saying then that um, if all of this stuff from Russia continues, that her natural gas will go up even more? Yes. If we don't find a way to um, to use what we have in the U.S., right? There are a lot of things and, and um, things that uh, that we could be doing differently um, to be able to, to bring those natural gas prices down here in the U.S. Same thing, though, with I, I don't obviously we nobody knows, but I don't know what's going to happen with like traditional gas prices. If those are going to continue to go up, I know that they were high at this point, not because of what's happening with Russia. We get a very small amount of our personal oil from Russia. We may see that trickle down happening um, over the next you know, six to 12 months because of what's happening in Russia. But what's happened up until this point, our current gas prices uh, aren't a result of whatever war is going on. Um, It's just not possible for things to, to affect us locally that quickly, if that makes sense. Um, And so I think that, you know, it's important that we are thinking realistically ahead with the way that prices are going up. You know, our family has ha- definitely had to adjust our lifestyle. We um, had a big vacation plan that we were talking about going on a family vacation this year. And just with the way things are going with inflation and looking ahead to like what, um, you know, we just decided that it was smart for us to not make that trip and like not use those, that savings because, um, and go out of the country because we really just didn't know Um, what else is going to be happening and what we might need to plan ahead for. And so that was a a choice we made, but also just on a daily level, I'm not eating the same amount of beef that I was before because I need to find a way to reduce my grocery bill for the month. Um, Eating meat for me is still a priority. I know that, you know, people are concerned with the inflation that's happening and with, um, with the potential meat shortages or whatever that it is, food shortages in general coming. Um, What, what that means. And they're going to have to go back to eating other types of food. I know even from a cost perspective, I have to find ways to cut back in other parts of my life because eating meat has to be a priority for us 
because I know that's what's keeping us healthy. Even just from a cost perspective, if I were to go back eating traditional food, if I was eating rice and beans because that was cheaper or because they're telling me to save money, I should eat lentils instead of eating beef for the day, which is an actual article, by the way, this is a fact. You are being encouraged, right? (laughs) You are being encouraged to eat lentils instead of beef in order to save money. My health cannot tolerate that. And the amount of medications and supplements and doctor's offices and visits that I would need if I went back to eating tons and tons of fiber or lots of carbs and sugar, financially, I would be much worse off because of all of the medications and doctor's visits and, and all that stuff that I would need instead. Our family over the years has eaten less beef as well. And we just get a variety. I think we eat a lot more eggs. I think eggs are really economical. And before we used to just buy the pasture raised or just get the versions from the farm. And now we just mix it all up. Um, And that is one way we have been much more economical because we are eating a lot more eggs. And uh, us too, we eat a lot more pork. We eat chicken and, and we still get the beef, but we buy it when it's on sale. If we, if we're out of the, the ones that we got from our local rancher. So that's how we've been a lot more economical with the way we've been eating, but it's never been, well, we'll just skimp and eat rice or we'll just skimp and eat something cheaper. And I really think the prices have gone up everywhere. I mean, avocados, I used to buy like one or two a week for my boys and they used to be 59 cents, 69 cents for one. And now they're like a dollar 10. And so we buy it once every other week now. Yeah. It's, I, I think there's several things that potentially could be coming and, and we don't know. I, I do know factually there is talk being, there's talk happening. And I do think that like, there's a lot of things going on between the inflation and, and Ukraine, Russia situation that are potentially going to cause food shortages and to what extreme that looks like. I don't know. And there's a, a variety of things. So I just want to give a couple things that could happen. And yeah. then I know we want to talk about like how we're preparing for that. So I think the something that we've already seen happen that we will likely see happening again is just limits in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of COVID, when there was a supply chain issue, we saw a lot of like limit two or limit one on please buy one milk or please only, you know, they had limits on ground beef. You could only get one per family or you could only get two packs of steak per family or especially chicken. I was seeing limits of one or two. Yeah, chicken wings, right? There was this chicken wing shortage. And so you could only get one or two at a time. And I think that's the first thing that we will see. Um, Maybe certain places in the country or or the world are already doing that. But I think that's something that's very realistic to happen often. And a lot of times, especially if you have a big family, like that's not enough. I know people, you know, whether you're a family of two or a family of seven, those limits aren't really adjusting to that. And so, you know, you're not, you're seen as like hoarding food if you're shopping for a family of seven, but really you're just like, this is one week's worth of groceries. There's seven people. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, hoard food. Um, So I do think that's um, something that's coming. I also think that it's very possible when we look at the dietary guidelines, we look at the recommendations from uh, the government in general, they want us to eat less meat. And that is also a fact. The current mayor of uh, New York City considers himself plant-based. And so I know he is recommending people in New York. His plan is to get people of New York to eat plant-based. And he doesn't even call himself vegan, right? He calls himself plant-based because I agree with this sentiment is like, People can call themselves vegan and eat Oreos, which is very true, but he considers himself plant-based because it should be more about whole foods. And so Mm. while I don't think they should be eating 
uh, vegan or plant-based in general, I agree with the sentiment of like eating more whole foods. Um, I also think though, that just in general, look at those news articles that are coming out and even the uh, talk from the administration is like, we want you to eat less meat and to incorporate more plant foods. And so I think you know, I don't necessarily think it's out of the realm of possibility that in the next couple of years we go to some sort of voucher system or you get coupons and the way that you're mailed like a food stamp card, you could be mailed a card that's allowing you to only purchase a certain amount of meat. And you go to the grocery store and you try to buy 10 pounds of meat and they say that's too much for your family. You've exceeded your limit for the month, right? Like that's it sounds like a conspiracy to say that, but it's very possible with what we have seen through COVID and what we are seeing with shortages. If there are true meat shortages, the government will regulate things. They will try to regulate and they will limit like what people are allowed to have. It's very possible. Um, and then even further into conspiracy world, this idea of there have been um, bills that have been you know proposed recently to move to more of an all digital currency. So I don't even think I told you about this, Judy, like, but this is an actual bill that's being used to move us to more of a digital currency system. And then if everybody is using digital currency, then what happens when you try to use that digital currency to purchase things like meat? Again, it's like you've had too much red meat this month. You are allowed to buy chicken or you're allowed to buy lentils. Like, you know, Chris is like very convinced that will happen. I'm not quite sure if we're going to go that far or not. So you know, there's this spectrum, but in some way we do know that there is going to be limits uh, and things that are not going to be as readily available. And so like we've often talked about on this podcast, like just being prepared um, and planning ahead is, is going to be really important. And I, I don't even think it's as simple as like stocking up, like you and I have both stocked yeah. up in different ways and we'll talk about that, but it's not even necessarily about stocking up because that only lasts you for so long. You know, like you can't, I don't have a warehouse full of freeze dried meats or, you know, um, freezer meals or boxes of whatever. Like at some point you can't stock up enough to prepare for whatever might happen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So, but in the, in the meantime, I think stocking up is important because it can kind of help, uh, bridge the gap if there are limitations at the grocery store. If your grocery store is only allowing you to purchase two packs of meat for the week, I then can use what I have in the freezer to supplement along with that. And it would help until hopefully some of these supply chain issues are resolved. So it was a lot. <laughs> I know that there's a lot of countries that are advocating for cashless governments and systems. And so, I mean, I know China's doing that. Um, I forgot what they call the currency of just cash. It starts with an F and I'm having a brain fart, but my husband talks about it all the time because he's really into crypto. And I mean, it just, makes more sense why crypto is even, I guess, a bigger influence at this point. But the concern is just, you know, what does this again all mean? And so I know we just brought up that, sure, we should stock up, but what are our alternatives if we truly become a cashless society where they will really have this system in the grocery stores where you can only have two pounds of meat a week and anything more than that, you're not allowed to purchase. I mean, that's where I think creating relationships with that's where your option of like going straight to the source or local farmers is, is, is a good idea. I think, and then, you know, a lot of people do hunting in, uh, to eat meat, um, or it comes in down to like raising your own and being in a place yeah. where you can have chickens, where you can have eggs and eat your own chickens, or you can, um, partner with people to get cows. And I don't know, you know, 
I, I don't do those things currently, uh, any of those things actually, but I think that those would be alternatives that we would need to do in the future potentially. I mean, selfishly, I want to know like, how am I going to be able to feed my family and keep my right. family healthy? Um, and just, and looking at the small scale, right? I think, I also think though that being aware of what is happening with legislation and trying to stand up for that and protect it. I think over the last few years, we've seen a lot of people just thinking that they could comply their way into all of this getting back to normal. And we obviously can't. Um, You can't just continue to go along with everything and then wait for it all to go back to normal. I think that the, you know, the push to push things in a society to being plant-based um, and using meat alternatives has continued to grow over the last, we've seen it, you know, come about a lot more in the last 10 years or so, and it's escalating very quickly. And so obviously, you know, shopping with your dollar and also knowing, you know, who we're putting into office and legislation. And as much as I'm against like voting in general, I do think that it's important to know like what, uh, what a lot of those things are standing for. I think we need to do another entire episode just on the nutritional guidelines in general. And like, why do they matter? They don't matter for me, but they matter for people who are the most vulnerable people in nursing homes, people in schools, people in hospitals, you're in the hospital right now and you are listed as a diabetic, but you're allowed to live on chicken fingers and, um, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know, and like, that's the diabetic diet that you're allowed to have. And so, things like getting those nutritional guidelines changed or at least flexible, like those things are going to matter because when it does come down to like limits being imposed, they will go, the limits will be in order towards the my plate, right. Or the, the government regulations or the government, um, the allowances of the government allowances. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what to do now, right? So I know the future is always with a lot of this uncertainty becomes a lot of this anxiety of concern. And I just choose, and this can be ignorance on my part, but I just choose not to focus on that because for now, I'm doing what I can to take care of my family and make sure we have enough meat and that we're saving and we have chest freezers and things like that. But, and then also building that relationship with our local ranchers, which we go to several now, we don't go to just one. But other than that, I, you know, my faith is a big part of how I stay grounded of just whatever happens, I have a higher being that I can lean on, and not worry so much. But it is always something that I think about whenever conversations like this happen. I there's that joke that says, uh, and I think this is important, right? I I definitely live by faith and not by fear. I'm not going to let fear in what's happening in the future, dictate my, my life. I'm going to live my life and and love my family and and live a great life. However, doesn't mean I'm not going to prepare for things, right? right? There's that old Christian joke that has been around for forever. That's like, you know, there's a flood and then the rains are coming and a man drives by in a fire truck and was like, here, come, I'll take you away to safety. And the guy goes, no, no, God will save me. God will save me. And then all of a sudden the flood waters come up and he's standing on his roof and somebody in a boat comes by and says like, Oh, can I help you? Let me take you to safety. He's like, no, no, God will save me. And then the, he's all the way on the top of his roof and a helicopter comes and goes here, let me take you and take you to safety. And he goes, no, no, God will save me. God, I trust God. God will save me. And he dies because he drowns and he goes to heaven and God go, and he's like, looks at God. And he's like, what happened? God, you were supposed to save me. And God goes, I sent you a fire truck and a boat and a helicopter. What's wrong with you? It's like, we have to prepare ourselves for what's coming in the future. I read the news and I'm very involved in the news, not because I'm have all this anxiety about it or not to panic about it, but to say, 
what can I do to be prepared for what may come? And then I live my life as best I can in the moment. You have to do your level of work, I think too, and not just stay complacent. So I I do agree with that. So based on everything that we've been talking about, preparing potential food shortages, what is the way that your family personally is trying to uh, stock up and be prepared for uh, for the future? We have chest freezers um, and that like one of our chest freezers, if it was fully empty, could hold probably half a steer. We have been buying either a, uh, a steer or a hog from the close ranchers. And then I've just been trying to build relationships with local ranchers around us just in case. And then we have our separate farmer that also has um, eggs as well as raw milk. And so we go to those areas. And I just also like to support them as well directly. But um, and then we shop the grocery sales. So we have shifted from just buying the steaks that are always on sale, but we'll buy pork, we'll buy eggs, uh, we'll buy dairy, and then we buy in bulk. So I've actually never bought a whole hog. And so this is the first time we're buying a whole hog. Um, it's a pasture raised, but I just thought the price was reasonable. It was $4.99 a pound for the whole hog. And they give you the fat, they give you everything. And, they, and then they send the hog to the butcher and you could... Um, have certain parts of the meat cut up however you want it. So I was like, great, we get our personalized sausages in ways that we want. And yes, it's a lot of money up front, but there are certain pork that you could buy at the grocery store that's more expensive than $4.99 a pound. So I thought it was a decent deal. And we just get a stock up. Last quarter, we also bought a whole a quarter of a steer. And so we've been eating some of that with in tandem with buying grocery meats that are on sale we buy a lot of bulk. So instead of just buying cheese, that's like the eight ounce or 16 ounces, we'll buy like the 24, 32 ounce packs. And obviously, if I was new to this way of eating, and if I was struggling with eating a lot of cheese and overeating it, then maybe I wouldn't get those. But yeah, I think it's just eating a variety. So we'll buy like chicken legs, we'll buy chicken thighs, chicken quarters are still really cheap. And uh, and we'll cook them in different ways. We'll do air fryer, we'll do uh, roasted on um, in the oven, we'll do pan fry and they taste differently depending on the seasonings. Um, and if you can tolerate it, but depending on the seasoning, the meat will taste really different. Yeah. And the cheaper meats tend to be fattier as well. So yes. those chicken leg quarters have the skin and they have really good fat on them. Chicken breasts, the, the price is a lot higher, but um, you know, a lot of us don't eat those uh, anyway. So those, yeah. those things are definitely helpful. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is we cut down a lot on our snacks. So we used to buy beef jerky. There was always jerky in the house. And then we buy canned meat. So instead of stocking up on, um, if we don't, we only have a finite amount of freezer space. So we've bought chicken in a can. We've bought wild salmon in a pouch. It's like a dollar. It's really cheap. And so we've been stocking up on some of that as well. But there's still ways to make this way of eating very economical. And I've yeah. said this example so many times, but You can go to the grocery store and buy the biggest, I think it's five pounds. Um, Some places have the 10 pound pack. And if you buy the 80% lean, I think um, that one is less than $3 a pound. Yeah, definitely. And even with the fluctuations, like, you know, a lot of that hasn't gone up. Uh, A lot of that ground beef has stayed, stayed lower. So I do think that's important. Um, our family stocks up. We've been making that a priority. I have like a little tiny freezer that fits in my laundry room. And then recently, like part of our decision to not go on this vacation was because we wanted to get another freezer and to fill it. And so that was something that we worked on. But, you know, I am not somebody who has or plans to buy a half a cow like Judy did. I I, I think a whole hog, I would be more 
um, likely to do than I would be for a cow, mainly because our family doesn't like um, grass finished meat. It's not something I want to pay for. You are paying, you know, a little more for that, but also I'm a little bougie. I'll admit, and I want to eat the cuts of meat that I want to eat. Yeah, and it's, sure. it is economical in, when you think about buying a half a cow, you're getting some of the more expensive cuts for cheaper, but then you're also getting a lot of ground beef and you're yes. actually, you know, paying that's expensive. If you think somebody's, you know, messaged me and said like, Oh, I got this half a cow for seven ninety nine a pound. Well, seven ninety nine a pound is really great for, or Five, say five ninety nine a pound, right? Or say five dollars to make it low math. Five dollars a pound is still really expensive for ground beef. Now that's really cheap for a steak of some kind, for ribs, for certain roasts. Like it's probably right on track with like a chuck roast. Um, so it, you know, maybe it does balance out. I personally, in our household, we're not going to eat a lot of roasts. We're not going to eat a lot of those cuts that you're getting when you buy a half a cow. And so I have found that even taking that same amount of money. I can go buy the exact cuts that I want from the grocery store or from Costco and I can buy the ground beef for cheaper and then I can buy the regular steaks that I want at the same price where maybe at the end of the day, I end up with the same, um, it's a lot more work, right? Because then I have to break it down myself and I have to vacuum seal it and freeze it and stuff myself. So maybe at the end of the day, I end up with the same number of pounds of meat that Judy does and the same price that was spent. I'm just ending up with a different type of cuts, right? And I'm getting exactly what our family wants. If you're not picky about the types of meats that you're getting and the cuts and you want super easy, and obviously you want to support whoever the farmer is in your area, those are great things that you should do. Um, but in my opinion, if you're looking at just from an economical perspective, it's actually not the cheapest way possible yeah, totally. to buy half a cow. It is great to support the farmer. You know what you're getting. You are, you know, you're taking this chunk of money. It's definitely an investment. But if you don't have the money to buy half a cow, you actually can buy that same amount of meat for probably less just by shopping the cheaper cuts and stuff from the grocery store. So I think that's you know, it's, it's not necessary to do that to save money. It's a great option. Our family is really big on just like buying one extra at a time. I went to Costco yesterday. We were out of canned chicken. Instead of buying one, I just bought two. So like, I tend to like slowly build up my stock, you know, picanhas were on sale a couple of weeks ago, which is like a top sirloin cap that we love rather than buying like the two Chris would have eaten for the week. He got like four and then went back. So like you know, we try to, rather than putting like one big chunk of money into buying at one time, we tend to just buy like one extra at a time. If bacon's on sale, I buy double what I need. And then I put half in the freezer and we eat half fresh. I think trying to eat fresh while we can is important. You know, like our family went through in January and just ate from the freezer only because I had a lot of really old stuff there. And I've been working really hard to stock up since then. But we have these two little I say two freezers, but they're actually really small. They, were fit, they both fit in my laundry room now. So we bought this extra freezer recently and um, they're like smaller than my washing machine. So I have two little freezers, but I'm keeping those full. Those are full right now. And then our plan is just to buy meat fresh kind of as long as we can. Um, or if we do eat something frozen, then it's the goal is to keep that replaced. So that way, you know, if a time comes when there are limits at the grocery store, we're able to eat what we have eat, purchase, always purchase what you can purchase, like what you're allowed to purchase and then supplement if we needed any more, um, from what we have, uh, stored up as well. But I'm definitely, 
like you in getting a lot more chicken, a lot more pork, um, buying beef on sale when I can. And then, you know, canned chicken and a few other options like that. And then worst comes to worst, you know, I know where I can go hunting. <laughs> I got a new shotgun for my birthday. <laughs> uh, I have uh, land we can we can go hunting on to uh, to try to support our family that way. So I, I think that knowing that I'm prepared for a shorter term situation is important. You know, if this turns into the apocalypse in long term, like yeah, there's no amount of preparation. I don't need barrels of food in my garage and a bunker down below. Like I'm not at that level of preparation, but I do think that like having a month of food or like a few weeks of food on hand um is important and you don't have to go out and do that all in one time, right? It's something that you can just add a little bit extra on your grocery every, every time you go, it's just adding one more thing, um, or kind of doubling up when things are on a good sale so that you can start to build up a little stock in your freezer or your pantry. Yeah. And I think it's also just considering where you spend your money. So maybe you, if you normally get your nails done, maybe instead of going every two weeks, you go once a month. Right. And it's just finding ways to cut costs a little bit. Um, making sure like our kids love to leave the lights on all over the house and, um, I need to make sure to remind them to turn off the lights. Um, little things like that, or having the air conditioner just a little bit lower than or higher than we normally would have. So maybe it would always turn on at 75 and now we have it turn on at 77. I mean, these are just small examples, but there's ways to save money and and then allocate those resources in areas that you do want to spend, let's say, for different kinds of meat. Uh, one thing I'll bring up about the grass finish, you're right. So there are cuts that I genuinely do not like. So we'll make a lot of broth and we'll put it in there. But even then, if it's not cooked long enough, it's too chewy that my boys hate it. And then the ground beef is so lean. Right. We have to add lard and butter in it to make it as soft as like the 80. But to get it to that amount of softness and I guess fattiness, we need to add a lot more fat to our ground beef. So you're right. If if you want to go with the cuts you want, I think what Laura is doing is probably a smarter way. Um, I just, you know, I personally like to just support our direct rancher. Um, ultimately, people should do what makes sense for them. I know that because the meat is grass finished, it's taking us longer to finish than if it was gray fed. I know that for sure. Yeah, so it'll be interesting with the hog, but um, you know, I'm going to keep trying. And yeah, I'm actually really curious, and you're going to have to report back because I'm curious. Like, you'll be here. Yeah, you like, try it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to taste it, and then also like, how much sausage do you get versus like pork belly versus like pork loins? Like, I'm trying to think in a pig, like in a cow. I know the number of ribeyes right. that you're going to get, or like the number of um, whatever, and a lot of it ends up the number. You know, you have a co- only like two specific uh, things total at a cow. So you buy half a cow, you're only getting like one full rib roast. So on a pig, I'm curious how much pork loin you would get. I don't know how many pork tenderloins are in a, in a whole pig versus like how much of it is sausage. So I'll be very curious. And if it goes well and tastes good, I might, I'm not the same state obviously, but we would, we would more likely go down that route with a pig than I would with a cow. Yeah, I know that ours was a bigger one because he gave me the option of either getting the hanging weight of 220 pounds or 250. So we said 250. And then he gave a list of certain meats. But then from there, he said, you can also make more of the meats into sausage if you don't want it as like the full meat. And so he said, that's where you can work with the butcher and they can add garlic or add jalapenos or other things if you want it. So, yeah. um, but you will be here in a few weeks so you can see. Yeah. 
I'll show you how to cook some of the pork that you got. <laughs> so we're going to go through your freezer and you're going to say, what is this cut of pork? What do I do with it? And I'll teach you how to cook it. You I can know, everything's so. like air fryer. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? Actually, what we could do, because we were joking about like, how are we all going to eat out of your air fryer when we're there? <laughs> we could take, if you <laughs> if you have like a one of those big pork butts or something, we could put that in the oven for a day. Mm-hmm. That would be an easy way to feed us all. I'll bring, or I'll, I'll go to the store and grab a pork butt. We can make that. I wouldn't make that in your oven. That would be good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We barely use our oven now, now that I like never bake and I don't cook that. Right. I didn't even cook the brisket in there anymore. I think that was it. I mean, I I think it's important to address it. This is so timely in the news right now. It obviously, as people who eat, whether you're strict carnivore or like ketovore or whatever in between, or like, I think we all know that protein is a valuable thing and we all need to eat a lot of meat uh, in order to stay healthy. And so I do know that, you know, while we don't want to contribute to like any type of fear, I think it's important to realize what's being said and realize that just because they're talking about wheat shortages and like this whole situation doesn't mean that it's not going to affect us as people who don't eat um, actual wheat. I think that it's going to affect a lot of things. I think we all know that inflation is not going away anytime soon. And so whether or not you're just dealing with limitations on what kind of meat you can buy or just the price of meat in general, I think it's important that you know what's going on and that you're prepared. If you only buy the the pasture-raised, grass-finished versions, and it's getting really expensive, as long as your body can tolerate it, I can tell you that most of my clients that have been eating grass-finished and then add in a little bit of grain-fed, most of them do not have a reaction. That's also an option if you have been really strict with your sourcing. I don't I do think, I think they do have a reaction. The reaction is, holy cow, this tastes so good. Why haven't I been eating this all along (laughs) when I could have been eating this delicious fatty cow? That's the reaction, Judy. (laughs) Well, I think that all meat is good meat. Um, The less processed good, if you can process your own sausage, even better. I I can't do that. So I buy from the grocery store, but any meat is good meat if it's raw and it's, there's nothing added. Um, I don't, I don't think it's an issue. And so if people are worried about affording meat. I think that is always an option if you only go for, I guess, the most expensive meat cuts because whether you eat a ribeye or you eat a New York strip or you eat a different type of beef, generally the nutrients are the same. And pork will have different nutrients as well as seafood, as well as chicken. And by the way, to answer your question, uh, a few episodes back, you asked about chicken wings. So they are high in collagen, but I think the reason maybe why we're craving it is I think it's the highest source in vitamin K2. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that is interesting. Good. Yeah. Well, you know what? Actually, and it's so funny. Like all of a sudden this week, I've been just like, meh, chicken doesn't wings. It's been like, what? Almost six weeks, two months sure. that I literally have been eating chicken wings almost every single day. And then this week, Chris was like, do you need me to thaw some wings for you for this week? And I was like, nah, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm over it. Actually, I'm ready to eat something else for once. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes. It's crazy. So all the fat-soluble vitamins balance each other. Beef is very low in D, E, and K. So it's only, well, actually even vitamin A is kind of low in uh, beef. But if you ate liver, for example, then there is a lot of vitamin A. And then seafood is more balanced. But I noticed when I was doing a YouTube video, I saw that chicken wings, of all the fat-soluble vitamins, it is the highest in vitamin K2. But isn't it too, so like recently I've been getting a lot more vitamin D just because I've been going tanning again. It's starting to get more sun out here. So just... 
over the last, I think it was like a couple of months ago, like once it hit January, I was like, oh, I need to start tanning again. <laughs> and so I, I go to tanning, which gives me vitamin D and then being outside more now that it's um, getting hot out here, I'm like wearing shorts and t-shirts and stuff. Right. And so maybe it is my body getting a lot more vitamin D. It wanted more K2 from the chicken wings. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Look at me learning stuff. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, thanks guys for listening today. We hope you, uh, this was helpful and let us know what you think. If you want us to stick to topics like current events, stuff like this, or go back to talking about poop, just let us know. (laughs) Well, this conversation affects our nutrition and what we spend our money on. So I think we should never forego what we eat and what we use as nutrition because we can feed our children grains and foods that can make them sick. And then who's going to pay for the hospital bill, right? Like these are things that we don't think about. You either pay now or you pay later. And um, I will always advocate that we pay now so that we don't get sick later. And while things may get more expensive, if you take some time and you prioritize how you're going to spend, it's always feasible. Right. Definitely. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>